tribulation on Sundays. If we would have started on one Sunday morning, say at 10.30 like this, do you realize if, if all of the messages through this series would have averaged an hour... And, of course, they, I'm sure, averaged less than that, wouldn't they? But if they would have all averaged an hour, do you realize we could have started on a Sunday morning at 10.30, and if we would have just said, and let's just go for it, let's just keep teaching, do you realize we would come back around to the next Sunday morning, we'd finish about 9.30? That's how long we've been into this thing. And we have seen some unbelievable stuff, man. I mean, I'm telling you, if this book was not in our Bible, we'd be in a lurch. We really would. Because you see, the, the history book in the New Testament, basically we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We come to the book of Acts, which is the continuation of the life of Christ through the apostles. It's the Acts of the Apostles, and it brings us through the history of the early church. But you know what? That history ends, and God says He's the God of history, and He says, I write it before it happens. So you see, what, what that does, the book of Isaiah tells us that in Isaiah 42 and also in Isaiah 45. So what that does is it makes a Bible believer go, hmm, if he tells you all of history before it happens, you start looking around for it. And what we found in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, he writes seven letters to seven churches, which represent for us, listen now, seven periods of church history that pick up where the book of Acts leaves off and brings us all the way up to the rapture of the church. And so what we've been able to see through our study of the book of Revelation, check it out, we have been able to see in outline form through those seven letters the entire history of the church. And listen, if God did not provide us that record of history, I'm telling you, we would not be in this room this morning believing what we believe. Because what that does is it tells us, it dictates to us what was happening so that we know how to interpret the events of the last 2,000 years of the church. We come to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. And we talked about, through the study of this book, we talked about the rapture. And in chapters 4 and 5, we saw the raptured church of Jesus Christ and what it is that we're going to be doing here in just a little while. As we come into the presence, as He raptures us off of the face of this globe like He did Job, or John in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, we get to see us and what we do in heaven as we come into His presence in chapters 4 and 5. And then chapters 6 through 19, while we're doing that in heaven, what He showed us is what's going to be taking place on the earth in that seven-year period of tribulation. We took several years to walk through the opening of the seven seals and the sounding of the seven trumpets and the revealing of the seven personalities and the pouring of the seven vials as He shows us the, the tribulation period. We came to Revelation chapter 19 and we saw the glorious appearing, what it is that we, we can't wait for. The day, the second coming of Christ when He comes to this earth to set up His millennial kingdom. And in Revelation 19, we saw the second coming. Chapter 20, we saw the glorious millennium. We came to the end of that chapter and we saw the, the incredible great white throne judgment. And then over the last several weeks, we've been talking about the, the new heaven and the new earth, the new city, the new Jerusalem you and I will inhabit for all of eternity. That's the stuff that we've been seeing. And, but listen, where we ended last time, in Revelation 22 and verse 5, the revelation, as far as the, the events of all of that, it's over. It's done. But he's got 16 more verses 
16 more verses that the Holy Spirit of God, for some reason, put into that book. Now, you know what? I, I'm, a, I'm a Paul guy. I love Paul. I love the way that the Holy Spirit inspired him with his background and his personality to write the Bible. I, I, I love it because it is just so incredible. The way that he does it is he is consistently, through all of his epistles, he lays down the doctrine, line upon line, precept upon precept, just lays it all out. But then he turns a corner somewhere and he says, okay, now, based on all of that, here's what you do with it. And he puts it into the practical. A great case in point would be the book of Romans. Eleven solid chapters. Doctrine, 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 doctrine. Come to chapter 12. And most of you have committed it to memory. He says in chapter 12, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God. And what he's going to do for the rest of that, chapter, rest of that book, he's going to say, now here's what you do based on the teaching that I gave you in those first 11 chapters. The book of Colossians, chapters 1 and 2. He lays down the doctrine. He comes to chapter 3 and he says, Now listen, if you then be risen with Christ, here's what you're to do. But you know the, the revelation, man, this is, this is lofty. This is heavy, heavy stuff that we've been seeing. Where's the practical in all of this? He comes to the conclusion of the revelation in verse 5. And he picks up in verse 6, and he says, Now let me show you what to do with this. And what he shows us, guys, is the response that we're to have to all of these things that we talked about. The church age, the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming, the millennium, the great white throne, the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. Here's what we're supposed to do with all of this stuff. And it is just, a, I'm sure, a little bit coincidental that in the book... That you remember when we were in chapter 1, John said that he saw seven golden candlesticks, and he said that those seven golden candlesticks were the seven churches to whom the Lord would write. And he saw seven stars, and he said that those seven stars were the seven angels of the churches, and he saw seven lamps of fire burning before the throne that he identified as the seven spirits of God. He, he saw a lamb that had seven eyes and, and seven horns. He talked about a, a book that had seven seals. He talked about seven angels with seven trumpets. He talked about hearing seven thunders. He talked about a beast that had seven heads. He talked about seven angels that had seven vials. And in those vials were the seven last plagues. And, and all the way through this book, in fact, from the very beginning, we started talking about the fact that the thing is seven just over and over and over and over and over. The, the number of completion the number of perfection in the Bible. And God comes to this book of the Bible that is the completion of His revelation to us that perfects the Word of God. And 54 times you find the number 7 in this book. And we come to the last 16 verses when He comes to the practical section. And I'm sure it's coincidental that what He does is He says, now, here's seven practical responses that I want you to have to my perfect and complete revelation. And the first thing that he shows us that is to be our response to everything that we've seen in this incredible book of the Bible, number one, trust the truth of God you hold in your hand. Trust the truth of God you hold in your hand. Now, let me just say this as you're filling out your, your little blankies there. That, that first service, I was, I was about to stand on my head 
with these things that, that John lays out here and bless their hearts. Now, I hope they don't get this tape, but they looked at me like, there is some incredibly practical things that are in this book. And, and listen, as Ezra talks about, I'm, 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 I'm throwing them out there to you. Somebody, for God's sake, they catch it and send it back, okay? Somewhere in here today, find somewhere to say amen, oh me, or something. But let me know that you're here, okay? But look, he says, trust the truth of God you hold in your hand. Now, now watch what he says, amen, I like it already. <laughs> he says in verse 6, and, and he said unto me, these sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Okay, now let, let me just make sure that we're all coming back into the context here. This angel that is talking here in verse 6 is the same one. Look back in chapter 21 and, and verse 9. John says, as he's seen the, the new heaven and the new earth, he says in verse 9, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I'll show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And all the way through this context, all the way through chapter 21, look at chapter 22 and verse 1, And he, the angel... John is saying, showed me a pure river of water. Okay, so we're continuing on. This angel is still having this conversation with John. And notice how the angel identifies himself and, and, and how he's bringing this prophecy. He says, the Lord God of the holy prophets. And what I want you to see here is what this angel is saying is, listen, all the way through the course of time, what God has done is through his holy prophets, he has been spelling out. Here's what is going to take place. Here's what's going to take place. Here's what's going to take place. And what he's saying to John is now what he does is the Lord God of the Holy Prophets has had me here showing you these things are going to take place. But listen, I'm just like all of those holy prophets. You know what? You know what that does? It identifies him as one who falls in line with a group of people that had the inspiration of God, the power of God on their life to be able to forecast the events of the future. And listen, in the last 6,000 years, not one time has any prophecy in that book ever fallen short of everything that God said it would be to the absolute letter. Oh, you are there. We are going to have fun. We may not get out of here till 2 o'clock, though. But we're going to have fun today. But oh my goodness, what he's saying is the same way that for the last 6,000 years those prophets have never missed, you can bank on this, John. These things that you've seen in this revelation, they're going to come to pass just like all of that truth that you've seen all down through the annals of time. And, and watch this. The Lord God of the Holy Prophets, the whole purpose for this, watch this, is to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. You see, and most of us got into this book of Revelation thing, and what we thought is that what God was doing is He was showing John the things which must shortly be done. And how cool was it for John to be the one that was able to see all of these things? And what the angel is saying is, it wasn't just for John. He did that through John, and John was told to do just what the Holy Prophets did. Write that thing down so all of us could know exactly what it is that God's going to do. The things which must shortly be done. Now, it's been 
John got this in 95 AD. It's been almost 2,000 years. <laughs> and God says, the things that must shortly be done. But do remember the principle of 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. That uh, a thousand years with the Lord is as a... So you see, from God's vantage point, it's only been, well, not even two days yet. So this is what must shortly be done. And would you look at how the Holy Spirit of God inspired this angel and John as he recorded what was taking place to identify us in verse 6? How are we identified in verse 6? We are his servants. And I would like to just ask you something. I, I know that this is a room full of people today that profess to know Jesus Christ. And, and I know that we all think that. And that's cool. I'm just asking you this morning, does the definition of verse 6 fit you? Are you his servant? Do you serve the will of God in your life? The Bible tells us that it's God's will that you be saved, that you be spirit-filled, that you be surrendered, that you be sanctified, that you be submissive, that you be suffering, that you be thankful. Do you serve the will of God? Are you a servant? You're a part, in the church age, you're a part of the body of Christ, the local body of believers in this place. Are you a servant? I mean, if we're going to just step back from it and we're going to look, look at the, the, the calendar of the week and say, what we're going to do is we're going to try to identify all the servants of Jesus Christ in this local body. Do you fit the description? And so here's this angel and he says, listen, the Lord God of the holy prophets has sent me to show you this, John, and to show all of his servants the things which must shortly be done but I want you to look back at the first part of verse 6. He says, These sayings, these sayings are faithful and true. Okay, now, what sayings? Okay, and what we believe is that the Bible defines the Bible, right? Okay, look at the end of verse 7. The sayings are the sayings of the prophecy of this book. The end of verse 9. The sayings of... This book, verse 10, the sayings of the prophecy of this book, the first part of verse 18, the words of the prophecy of this book, the first part of verse 19, the words of the book of this prophecy. You see, that's what he's talking about. All the words that the Holy Spirit of God has inspired John since, John, or, uh, since Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, all the way through verse 22. What he's say, saying to us here is, every single saying, every single prophecy, and every single word of every single prophecy, what he's saying here is you can bank on it without a doubt. It is absolutely 100% true and 100% faithful. You can believe it and you can put your absolute confidence in it. You can build your life upon it. And what he says here is that these sayings are the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, what I want you to notice on this is it is not the thoughts of God that he identifies. It is not the idea of God that he emphasizes here. 
He says these sayings, what God said, He says these sayings are His words. You see, when God speaks, He he speaks the same way that you and I speak. He speaks with words, and when God took His holy inspired word and put it together, what He did is He took very specific, very carefully selected words to give us that revelation. People tell us today, well, you know, it really doesn't matter what version of the Bible that you use. Because you see, the, 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 the main thing that God is wanting is He wants you to, to just understand His thoughts. You see, there's some ideas that God is wanting to communicate to man, and as long as that's not lost in the translation, that's all that God's really concerned about. Uh, no. What He's trying to tell us here is what is faithful and what is true are the words of God. God very carefully selected those words and He doesn't want anybody messing with those words. And this goes all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, and, and, and verse 2. God says, Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it. Why? That ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. And somehow it is in the thinking of God that if you take something out of His book or you add something to it, somehow it's going to mess you up from being able to keep His commandments. That's why He said, Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. In Proverbs 30, in verse 6, He says, Add thou not unto His words, lest He reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. This book is true. It's not going to be found a lie. But if you start messing with it, you'll be found a liar in the process. So God says again, don't add to it. Don't take away from it. In Psalm 12, verse 6, the words, not the thoughts, not the big ideas, but the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Number of perfection. It's His perfect word and perfect words. Look at verse 7. The psalmist says, Thou shalt keep them. What is them, y'all? The words. The pure words of God. He says, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Those, Those words, he says, don't mess with those. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my my words shall not pass away. And God is very distinct and and, and so dogmatic about those words. And, And right here in this passage, would you drop down to verse 18? For I testify unto you, uh, unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. This is Jesus speaking now. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. And God once again is saying, don't add to my book, don't add to my words, and don't take away from it. And, and just watch the little, little thing that God did and how he set this thing. He comes through the first five books of the law. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4. He builds this little wall and he says, now listen, don't add to my book and don't take away from it. The revelation continues on and we come into the book of Proverbs right in the big fat middle of your Bible. And God clears off a space and he says, now listen, builds a wall here. Don't add to anything that I've put into this book and don't take anything away from it. He comes to the very last chapter of the book and he says, okay, let me just make sure that you understand all the revelation that you received thus far. Don't add to my words and don't take away from it. Because if you add to them, I'm going to add to you the plagues that are written in this book. And there's some heavy, heavy, heavy plagues. Remember them demonic, demonic scorpion locusts that sting you with a sting that lasts for months and months and months and burns with an excruciating pain? That's what he's talking about. And if you take away, he says, your name's going to be taken away from this thing. Don't mess with it. You remember what you remember what Eve did? The serpent came to her, and the, the whole issue in Genesis chapter three was all about the sayings of God. And remember, when we're talking about the sayings of God that are faithful and true, it's it's always defined in the words that God uses. Okay, and, and so what happens is the serpent says, "Yea, hath God said." And she very diligently answers, quoting the word of God. Of every tree we may eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we may not eat of it, neither shall we touch it. And you know what she did? First of all, she added to it. God never said anything about touching it. She added to it, and she also took away from it. Because what God said, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but when she quotes it, what she does is she adds and she subtracts. God comes to the end of the Bible and he says, now listen, this whole stinking mess all got started with somebody that added to my words and somebody that took away from them. Now I'm telling you again, don't add to my book, don't add to my words, and don't take anything away from those words. Now, there, there is something here that's just a little bit maybe confusing for some of you because one of the things that we know as believers in Jesus Christ is that our eternal destiny and our placement in Christ is something that is secure. And a lot of people go to these verses that we just looked at in verses 18 and 19 and try to say, we see, you can lose your salvation. You do that, buddy, and he's going to add those plagues to you, and he's going to take your name out that book. You're going to take away your part out of that holy city. And the thing you need to understand, the book of Revelation is also going to be read by some people other than people in the church age. Okay? You remember the principle that we looked at several weeks ago from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 32? Three distinct groups of people that you better keep distinct. They are the Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. And you better make sure that you understand where you are in this thing and how God is dealing with these people. In the church age, guys, the book of Ephesians says that what happened when we called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save us is we were placed in Christ. Christ was placed in us and we were sealed with the Spirit of God and you couldn't get out if you wanted to. Okay? You're not, you're not going to have added to you these plagues. But let me just tell you something. In the tribulation period, you add to that book, and you know what? 
You'll be a, if you're, and if you're here in the tribulation period, then you're not a part of the church of Christ because the church, remember, we left in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. We were out of here before the tribulation started. But if you're in the tribulation period and you add to that book, you know what? You're going to be living through those plagues. You take away from it, and you know what? You won't be saved in the tribulation period. There will be people who will be saved. Remember we talked about that? Be people saved in the tribulation period. But if you take away from that book, what's going to happen is you're not going to be able to enter into the holy city, the new Jerusalem where we are, where there is a, what kind of tree? A tree of life. You won't be able to enter into that thing if you mess with that book. What I'm wanting you to see here this morning, for those of us that are living in the church age, what God is trying to get us to see is, listen, I've given you my words. I put them in a book that you can hold in your hand. They're not lost in some original manuscripts that nobody's ever read, that nobody's ever preached from, that nobody's ever led anyone to Christ from. I've given you a book, and I've got the ability, according to Psalm 12 and verse 6, I've got the ability to keep those words pure and to preserve them for, for every generation. And you've got them in your hands. And what God is saying is, now listen, if you want to know what to do with all of this revelation that you've received, this faithful and true revelation, God says, grab your book. And get your hands around it. Build your life around it. And don't let anything out of it. Don't add to it. Don't take anything away. Number two. A second thing that God shows us in this passage of what we're to do with all of this incredible teaching that we've received from the, the book of Revelation. Number two. Live with the imminent return of the God of truth in your thinking. Live with the imminent return of the God of truth in your thinking. Now, do you know the word imminent? If you don't, this is a, this is a word that you do need to build into your, your vocabulary because it has a whole lot to do with what the New Testament teaches us about the return of Christ. The word imminent means about to occur at any moment. About to occur at any moment. And I think it's pretty clear in this passage that God has always wanted His people in the church age to be living with the stark realization that the Lord Jesus Christ may come at any moment. He wants us living with that kind of reality. Okay, now here's the deal. Here's John. He's received all of this revelation. The angel is, is talking to him and he's saying, now let me tell you something, pal. Everything that you've seen here it's all faithful. It's all true. It's all going to shake down. It's all going to shake down just like this. Okay? And he's, t he's telling him the rest of the, the, the deal. Okay? But in the big fat middle of the angel talking to him, three times Jesus interrupts the conversation. He just, pow, just bolts right in to say something that is just unbelievable. Look, look at verse 7. While they're carrying on this conversation, the Lord Jesus Christ steps up and says, Behold, I come quickly. And drop down to verse 12. And behold, I come quickly. And they're continuing the conversation. And in verse 20, <clears throat> He which testifieth of these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Hey, I think there's something the Lord's wanting us to see here, y'all. He's coming. He says, I'm coming, y'all. And when I come, I'm coming quickly. 
It's going to be suddenly. It's going to be without warning. And you know what God's trying to get us to see? He wants us living our lives based on the truth of everything that we've seen in the book of Revelation. What He wants us to do is to live every single day of our life in anticipation that in the very next moment the Lord Jesus Christ could come. Every single moment He wants us living just like that. And it's just incredible the way that God has laid this book out so that every person in the church age would have to live with that constant realization the Lord could be coming back at any moment. The way that He ended this revelation three times, He said, Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. Surely, I come quickly. And you, and you go back and you begin to look at certain places in the Word of God. And what you find is, those believers way back in the first century, almost 2,000 years ago, our brothers and sisters in Christ, you know how they were living their lives? In anticipation that the Lord Jesus Christ could come at any moment. Let me show you Philippians chapter 3. It's going to be up on the screen for time's sake. We won't take the time to go to all the references. Just jot them down and check it out later. In Philippians chapter 3... In verse 17, it says, Be ye followers of me, and mark them which, which walk so as ye have us for an example. Verses 18 and 19 are parentheses. Look at verse 20. For our conversation, where it is that we're actually living out our life right now, our citizenship is in heaven. Watch this now. From whence also we look for the Savior. You know what? Way back when Paul wrote to the Philippians, Paul was looking for the Savior and inviting them, listen, remember, we're living our lives as citizens of heaven and that's where we need to be looking because that's where He's going to be coming. In the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9, verse 9 and 10, it, it talks about they themselves, the, the people of, of the various parts of Macedonia and Achaia, show a, a, of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, a perfect definition right there of what salvation actually is. We were all going this way. We all had things that we were bowing to in our life and serving. And all of a sudden, somebody gave us the gospel and we turned from all of this to serve the true and living God. Watch verse 10 now. And to wait for His Son from heaven. And here were these Thessalonians back in the middle part of the first century. And through what Paul had written under the inspiration of the Spirit, they all would have been waiting for His coming. In chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, he talks about the rapture. And in the midst of explaining about the rapture of the church, look at what he says in verse 15. For this we say unto you, Thessalonians, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. And he's writing to these believers, and those believers would have been thinking as they were receiving the revelation of God, we may very well be the ones that are alive and remain when the Lord comes back. And you know what the Lord wanted them to, to believe? That they may well be the ones who would be alive and remain when He came back. And you know what? What the Lord wants for us is for us to be the generation that believes that we may well be alive when He comes back. You know why? Because if you believe that, every man that hath this hope in himself does what? He purifies himself. You know what? If I were to be able to tell you, and I won't because God says this wouldn't happen, 
But if somehow early this morning, God would have said, Trout, this is the day, man. You better go tell the folk. And I were to come and I was going to say, guys, the Lord's coming back today. Today. And we dismiss our service. Let me just say, if you knew that it was going to be today, would it dictate what you do the rest of the day? Would it dictate what you don't do the rest of the day? And that's just the point. God says, listen, based on all of this truth, don't forget, I'm coming suddenly. I can come at any moment to live your life just like that. What do you want to be found doing? When the Lord comes back. Have you ever thought about that? What would you not want to be doing when he comes back? Right in the big fat middle of big sin. <laughs> you know, I used to think <laughs> I used to think, you know what I'd love to be doing, man? Just what I've been doing up here. Holding that book in my hand, screaming my guts out about this incredible book. That's faithfully true. But I've gotten over it. <laughs> because I'm telling you, there is something that would be far greater than that. Because you know what? He, he hasn't gifted everybody to do that. So everybody couldn't do that. So that couldn't be the big deal. Boy, what I'd love to be doing when he comes is I'd love to be just flat on my face having ascended into the holy hill of the Lord worshiping Him in spirit and in truth longing like he talks about in Romans chapter 8 groaning and travailing to, to leave this body groaning and travailing for the redemption of this body wouldn't it be great to be on your face groaning and travailing wanting to give Him more worship but having the hindrance of this body, and from that place, <coughs> you go right from the earth to living in a glorified body around the throne in Revelation chapter 4, and the most comfortable fa place you can find yourself is on your face before the throne right there. <sighs> That's what it's all about, man. And God wants us living every single moment of every single day. Believing in our hearts that the very next second could be the second that the Lord Jesus Christ comes. That's what we do with the book of Revelation. Man, you take that truth that He's put in your hand, grab it in both of your hands and don't add anything to it and don't take anything away from it and live every single day as if that a very next moment may, may well be the moment that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come for us. Number three. Number three, do the truth of God you know in your mind. Now, you got the book in your hand. And, and He wants you to, to trust that book. He wants you to live with that imminent return in your thinking. But there's some, some things that we know in our mind. But just because we know them in our mind is not good enough. He wants us to... And I know that the phraseology seems weird. You'll understand it in just a second. What he tells us is to do the truth. Do the truth that we know 
in our mind. Look at verse 7 again. He says, Behold, I come quickly. And one of the things that realization should do, the fact that He's coming, it ought to cause us to do the things that He told us to do. He says in verse 7, Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And what I want you to see here is God is saying, Listen, I'm not just interested in you believing all the right stuff. Yeah, I want you to trust it. Yeah, I want you to believe it. But what he's trying to get us to see here is there is something more than just believing the truth that he wants us to do. Look at the verse again. He doesn't say, blessed is he that believeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book, but he that what? He that keeps them. And one of the greatest mistake that we, mistakes that we make as Christians is thinking that the truth of God is something that God wants us to believe. Yes, he wants us to believe it. But the truth of God is something that He wants us to do. He wants us to keep truth. And you know how He determines whether or not we really believe His truth? By whether or not we do it. And if we don't do it, if we don't keep it, in God's mind, we really don't believe it. You're in Revelation. Hang a left and go through Jude and... 3 John and 2 John to the book of 1 John. Just, just over to the left, just a few pages. He says in 1 John chapter 3, look at verse 23, and this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of, the son, of His Son Jesus Christ and love one another as He gave us commandment. Oh yeah, believe. Okay, now watch, watch verse 24. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. You see, yes, all of us come into this relationship because we believe on Jesus Christ. And what he says, though, is that when we believe on Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God moves inside of us to dwell in us, the book of Romans says that His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. But what the, the Spirit does is not only just bear witness, the Spirit of God goes to work on the inside of us to change our want-tos. And what happens to us when we get the Spirit of God, what happens to us when we get saved, is all of a sudden we want to keep His commandments and the Spirit of God causes us to want to do that and to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, you know what? Here's how you know the people who have really believed on the name of the Son of Jesus Christ. It's the people that keep His commandments. Drop down to chapter 5 in verse 3. He says, For this is the love of God. Here, here's how you know if you love God, y'all. That we keep His commandments. You know what happens to you when you get saved? Not only do you fall in love with God's people, but you fall in love with the God of those people. And you know how that manifests itself? You keep His commandments. You know why you keep them? Because you want to. The rest of the verse? And His commandments are not grievous. It's not like, you know, doggone it. I guess the least I can do is keep these doggone commandments. I, I mean, I don't really want to. You know what salvation did? 
it changed your desires on the inside if you really got saved. And when you sin, and we all will, there's going to be times when we violate His commandments, but we don't relish in that at all. We have a Romans 7 response to that if we're real children of God. And we say, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Because, man, it seems like the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, those are the things I end up doing. We love God. We'll keep His commandments. And they're not grievous to us. Go back to chapter 1 of this same book. And look at verse 6. He says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and there's all kinds of people that make that statement. Oh yeah, I know God. But he says, if you're making that statement, that you know God, you fellowship with Him, but you walk in darkness, he says, we lie and believe not the truth. Is that what it says? And do not the truth. And again, the point is, the truth of God is not just something that you believe, it is something that you do. And if you profess to know Christ and you don't do the truth, he says you really don't believe it. You're not really a believer. Look at chapter 2 and verse 4. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And now here's something that you need to understand now, y'all. What he's saying here is that we, as believers in Jesus Christ, in the church age now, as believers in Jesus Christ, we're not keeping His commandments so that we will be saved. Because we're saved, we keep His commandments. And if you claim to be saved and you're not keeping His commandments, it's not that you're not saved because you didn't keep His commandments. It's that the evidence of true belief is not in you. For us in the church age, keeping His commandments is the evidence of our salvation. But now listen, in the book of Revelation, in the tribulation period, for people in the tribulation period, they can try to be saved the same way that you and I were, and they can claim those verses that are intended for the church, and you know what? It ain't going to work for them. Because you see, what, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 13 and a lot of people that, you know, other denominations that don't believe in eternal security think that maybe we, you know, just fell off a truck somewhere and didn't know that this verse was in there. But Jesus said, But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. You see right there, brother, it says you better endure to the end. Mm-hmm, it sure does. But the context there is the tribulation period. And the church is already out of here at that point. And during the tribulation period, you know what? You better keep the commandments and the testimony of Jesus. See, we've already covered that, but what I want you to look at is, look at verse 14. He presents the same basic truth here that, that he talked about at the end of verse 7. But he says, blessed are they that do his commandments. Okay, now this is for the tribulation peri period, those people, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city... For without, outside of that city, as we've already seen back in chapter 21, are dogs, speaking of people, and sorcerers, and whoremongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loveth, and maketh a lie. And again, it's the same principle. Blessed are they that do His commandments, keep the commandments. But in the church age, we keep His commandments as an evidence of salvation. In the tribulation period, you keep them as part of the 
means of salvation. And if you don't, you won't be saved in the tribulation period. If you're not saved in the tribulation period, you know what? You won't be entering into the gates of the new Jerusalem to go in there to partake of the tree of of life. And that's what he's talking about here. But what he's trying to get us to see is, listen, all of you that have received this revelation, the truth of God, listen, trust the truth of God that you hold in your hand. Live with the imminent return of Jesus Christ in your thinking. Do the truth of God that you know in your mind. And then fourthly, worship the God of truth you have in your heart. Worship the God of truth you have in your heart. Okay, now now listen real carefully to this. One one of the most graphic lessons in this, this passage is that it is quite possible to have your spiritual eyes and your spiritual ears opened to the revelation of God's truth and yet have an unbiblical and, listen, an even sinful response to it. Now, did everybody hear what I just said? We're getting ready to see something really major here. Because for the last number of years now, God has graciously allowed us as a church to somehow see with spiritual eyes and hear with spiritual ears things that people in other generations in the church age had no clue about. They came to the book of Revelation, many of them, going, what in the world is that all about? I'm looking out at a group of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in a second service today that understand the book of Revelation. You've had your spiritual eyes and ears. We all have. We've had it open to see this truth. What I'm wanting you to see here You can have your spiritual eyes and ears opened to the revelation of God and have an unbiblical and even a sinful response to it. And and John, bless his heart, is this graphic illustration to us. Look look at what John says in verse 8. I saw these things. What things? The sayings of the prophecy of this book. And again, you can just walk back through all of them, man. All of that incredible stuff. The most recent being this, this new Jerusalem that uh, it boggled your mind, didn't it? I mean, and, and we've got these finite brains and trying to conceptualize all of these things. John saw it. He heard these things. And John says, I saw these things. And also in verse 8, and heard them. Okay, so his spiritual eyes and ears saw and heard the truth of God's revelation. And he says in verse 8, And when I had heard and seen, what did he do? Check that out. I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. And the point that I'm wanting you to see here, and now listen real carefully, is that as human beings... For some reason, we have a tendency to exalt the person that showed us the truth of God rather than exalt the God of the truth. And it happens 
in places probably where there's a more eloquent pastor than this one, but it happens with pastor and people. <sighs> wow. Man, he just can take that book and unravel it, man. Wow. What a God. It, it happens in discipleship. With discipler to disciple. It happens in counseling. With the counselor and counseling. It happens in any setting where there's a teacher and a student. We begin to exalt the one that showed us the truth rather than the God of the truth. And the response to all of this is not, oh, oh my, what an incredible teacher you are. The response to the truth of God ought to be, oh my, what an awesome God of truth you are. And, and you know what? I, this, this seems probably to some of you like some you know, little sub moot point you know what makes me think that this isn't just some little minor little detail? Is the guy that made this absolutely sinful blunder. Do you realize who this is? This is not some fly-by-night little layout of sea and Christian, rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, thinking he's one place and another. We're talking about this is the great apostle John entrusted by the Spirit of God to complete the revelation of God with the book that we're bringing to a, conclu a conclusion sometime today. We're talking about the Apostle John, y'all. The most intimate of all of the disciples. The one that, remember, the night before Jesus died, had his head on Jesus' breast. The beloved disciple, as he's referred to in Scripture, he went from that position to where in the, when the book of Revelation started, do you remember where, when he saw the risen and glorified Christ, do you remember where he went? Bam! He said, I fell at his feet as... And here he is, stinking, falling before an angel, worshiping him. And I'm just trying to get us to see here that if the great apostle... John, who already made this mistake in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10 and was rebuked for it. And here he turns right around and does the same thing. I'm just telling you, there's a principle there that we better file in our heads. As we have somebody show us the truth, don't exalt the person. Exalt the God of the truth. And what he tells him here is, man, I love this, this, this angel. He says in verse 9, See thou do it not! Don't you like that, man? I mean, this is the great apostle John, and he doesn't give two flips. Don't you dare do this! I think maybe the principle that maybe might help us understand this just a little bit better is that not all of the people that live in the Laodicean church period are like this angel. You see, there's a lot of us in the last days that like to be able to show people the truth of the Word of God because of the preeminence that they give you. You see, the book of 3 John, in verse 9, talks about a pastor of a church by the name of Diotrephes, and his problem was he loved the you know what? You know? He loved the preeminence. 
In Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 30, Paul pulls the Ephesian elders together and he says, Okay, now, fellas, a few things you need to understand. This is not your church. This has been purchased with the blood of God. And so listen, feed the flock and make sure that you understand something. There are going to be grievous wolves that are going to come in. And you know what they're going to try to do? They're going to try to draw away disciples after themselves. See, there's a lot of people that like to show people truth because of the preeminence that it gives them. Because it allows them to draw disciples to themselves rather than to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the angel says, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant. You know what he's saying? Man, don't do this. I'm just a servant of God like you, man. And look at what else he said. And of thy brethren, the prophets. Hey, man, I'm just showing you things just like all of the prophets did in the past. You wouldn't think about bowing down and worshiping them, would you? Get up, man. And of them which keep the sayings of this book. You know what, man? I'm just trying to do what God told me to do, just like everybody else. Get up. Stop what, that, what, what you're doing there. See thou do it not. You see, and it goes back all the way to the, the first of the Ten Commandments. What did God say in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. God has let us know right from the very beginning, don't you ever bow down and worship and exalt anything other than Him. In Matthew chapter 4, here's Satan trying to tempt Jesus. And in the whole scheme of that whole thing, Satan has the audacity to tell Jesus, now here's what you ought to do. You ought to bow down and worship me. How about that? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 10, Get thee hence, Satan. Get out of here, man. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only that shalt thou serve. And what he does is he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 13 and 14 there. And God is showing you from the Ten Commandments, He's showing you from the ministry of Christ that we are to bow before no other person other than Him. And what the angel says is not just, hey, see thou do it not. It's not just stop that and let's go on our way. It's stop that and worship God. Worship God. And guys, we've been talking about worship on Sunday nights. But for us to come through everything that God has shown us in the book of Revelation and holding Him in absolute awe, not be the response of everything that we see to where we, just like John in chapter 1, bow at His feet as dead, we're missing something. The angel, the angel says, listen man, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just an angel. I'm just a, I'm just a created being like you, man. I'm, I'm just a servant. I'm just a, a steward. I'm just trying to do what God told me to do. Hey, worship God. Look, look at verse 13. Worship the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is not a created being, the one who is the great I Am, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Drop down to verse 16. The one who is the root and the offspring of David. 
Yeah, he sits on the throne of David, his father, but he's David's father at the same time. The one who is the bright and morning star. What, the, what God is showing us here is he's the God who is to be worshipped. He is the eternal God. He is the creator of all things. He is the one that has put everything in an operation. He is the one who's sovereign over all. He is the son of righteousness. Worship God. And now number five. Share the truth of God entrusted to your stewardship. Share the truth of God entrusted to your stewardship. Now, do you remember what the angel said back in verse 6? What he said is that the purpose of the revelation wasn't just to show John all of these things that were to be shortly be done, but to show all of his, what? All of his servants these things. And what I want you to see here, guys, is based on that teaching in verse 6, we have all become stewards of the book of Revelation just like John. He gave this to show us what was going to be shaken down. And watch what the angel says in verse 10. Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. For the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And I believe what, John, what, what God is trying to... To, to, to say to John and to all of us who have been made servants and stewards of the revelation of God, I think what God is trying to get us to see here is, listen, now that you've received this and you know all of these things that are going to be shaken down, God says, listen, don't seal the sayings of the prophecy of this book. In other words, don't keep these truths that you've learned, don't keep those things under wraps. You've had your eyes open to these things. Respond correctly. Worship God. But then open your mouth to share these things. Don't let these things be sealed. Daniel received a similar revelation about the things that were going to be taking place in the end times in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. But you know what God told Daniel? But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. We're living right now at the time of the end. You know what? We understand the book of Daniel better than Daniel did, the guy that wrote it. Because we're at the time of the end. And right now, what God is saying to us is, don't seal the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Listen, guys, the reason He tells us to do that, look at the rest of the verse. He says, for the time is at hand. There's just a small little window of time to get the message to the people around us of all of the things that we've seen that are going to unfold. There's just this little window of time. The time is at hand. And listen, the time was at hand in 95 AD when John received this revelation. Do you understand how much closer the time is now? I mean, we look and we read the paper and everything that we see in, in the book of Revelation, we go, okay, it's right here. Everything's set and ready. The time is at hand. And listen, we don't have time to seal the prophecy of this book. The things that God has opened our eyes to be able to see, guys, most of the people on this planet don't understand those things. And he says, listen, don't seal them. The time is at hand. 
And, and he goes on in that next verse. And you know what he's saying? Once the Lord does come, it's all too late then. Because when He comes, if you are still unjust, you've never been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are in filth, the filth of your sin. And you know what? When He comes in, it's all over. That's how you'll be for all of eternity. The people that we live near, the people that we work with, the people in Tuscross County, they are unjust. They are in filth. And there's people that are sitting in this room today that have had the revelation of God open to us. We know what's going to happen to them in the very near future. All of the plagues that we've been reading about week after week and year after year in this study. It's all going to befall them. The time is at hand. And we, don't, we can't mess around. We cannot seal the prophecy of this book. We've got to get it out. And the other thing is true as well. Man, once He comes, if you're righteous, you'll be righteous for all of eternity. If you're holy, you'll be holy for all of eternity. Not because of works of righteousness that we have done, but because of His mercy, He saved us. Because we're something different, man. We're the church. Placed in Christ to receive a position that we could have never attained on our own. So, hey, there's an urgency behind this thing. And then look at the invitation that we're to offer in verse 17. We've got to let them know that the Spirit of God that inspired the prophecy of this book says, Come. We've got to, as the bride of Christ, we've got to invite them to come. And he that heareth, you get involved too and tell them to come. And you know what? We see this all the time in this church. People start coming. They're not even a part of the bride of Christ yet. They've not even received Christ, but they'll go out of here and start inviting their family members to, to come in and, 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 and hear. You know what? There's an invitation to, to, to come. They, they've not actually received the invitation themselves, but they, they, they start inviting other people. And he says, listen, if you're here today and you're hearing this revelation, get busy. Tell them to come, man. The Spirit says come. The bride says come. He that hears says come. And here is the most beautiful thing of, of all. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. And that's what we're inviting them to come and to take of the water of life. The water that Jesus talked about in, in John chapter 4. The water of life that He can give that can quench the thirst in our sinful souls. And right now, to everybody that we meet, that invitation is open to them to come and drink of the water of life. How? Freely. But that little window of time for that is right now. And so he says, listen, don't seal up the prophecy of this book. If God has opened your eyes to be able to see these things, man, the time is at hand. If we're going to do something with it, we've got to do it now. Share the truth of God entrusted to your stewardship, number six. And I'll try to hit these within the next hour. Number six, work in response to the truth of God you have received. Work in response to the truth of God you have received. Now look at verse 12. And behold, I come quickly. Here's that interruption. Watch this now. And my reward is with me 
to give every man according as his work shall be. And what God is trying to get us to see is, now listen, I've opened your eyes to see all of these truths in this book. And you've become a steward of them. And now what you ought to do in response to that is you ought to work. Because when I come again, my reward is with me. And I'm not just doling that out flippantly. It's all based according to your work right now. While the time is at hand and before His coming, it's all being set by what we're doing right now in terms of our works. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 27, Jesus said, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He shall reward every man, how? According to His works. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 8 through 15 or so, what, what we've seen in, in this passage at the judgment seat of Christ, what is going to be taking place is every man is going to be rewarded according to his labor. Every person is going to receive reward based on their works in this life. The book of Ephesians comes along in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And what it says to us is, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You ain't going to get this salvation because of your works, but... The salvation that you receive by grace through faith in Jesus Christ apart from works, works unbelievably after you get it. Verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In Titus chapter 2 in verse 14, what He said is that He redeemed us to be a peculiar people. Listen, zealous of good works in Titus chapter 3. He begins talking about this, this same basic thing. And he's saying, listen, it's not according to your works that got you into the salvation that you received. It was His mercy. It was His grace. And then he says in, in verse 8 of this passage, look at it. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, Titus the pastor. Listen, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. You know why? Because everything that this book says is you cannot be saved by your works. But once you receive the salvation apart from your works by grace through faith, you better get busy on that thing because He's coming real soon. And when He comes, it's going to be a time of reward. And we've, we've talked about this. A lot of people freak out about this whole thing. Well, I just don't, I don't think we ought to be motivated by reward. You, you don't get it. Okay, listen now. Listen real carefully. The reason that we work like crazy is the rewards that he's talking about that he's going to give to us. It's not something that, yes, I, I want to get these rewards so that I can get all of this stuff from God. No, the rewards that he gives you represents what you are able to give back to him for all of eternity. That's the motivation. So get self. Self is not the issue. It's all about him. But he's going to reward you with something that you're able to give back for all of eternity. And he says, listen, if you haven't learned anything else in this thing, understand that the coming of Christ ought to cause every single one of us to work in response to that truth that we've received. And then, can you believe it? Number seven. 
walk in the grace of the God of truth until He comes for you. Walk in the grace of the God of truth until He comes for you. Here's John after all of this. And he says at the second part of verse 20, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And until you do, all of you that will ever pick up this book and read it, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, what he's talking about in this, this, this grace is not the, the grace that saved us. This is, this is the grace that he talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and, and verse 8. The, the, the verse says, And God is able to make all grace, watch this now, abound toward you, that ye, here's what this grace is going to do, that ye having all sufficiency, that, that grace gives us not just sufficiency, but what? All sufficiency. Not just in a few things, but in, in, in all things. Not so that we can just do good works, but so we may abound. Not just to some good works, but to every good work. That's the grace that John is saying that He would, that would be with all of us until He comes. You know what the grace is? It is the desire and the power to obey God. And you know how we get that, y'all? Well, because, you know, we got it going on because, you know, we're in a church that have, we, we have our eyes and our ears open to the revelation of God. <laughs> no. The reason that we have the desire, and if we do have the power, the reason we have the power is because of His grace. He says in Philippians, chapter 2 and verse 13 for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure you say oh boy I'm telling you man if that's what that grace is supposed to do man I'm struggling big well you know what if so he tells you what to do in Hebrews chapter 4 what he tells you to do in Hebrews chapter 4 is to come boldly to the throne of what? The throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, Pastor, yeah, if we're supposed to have all sufficiency to abound in every good work like you've been talking about there, man. I've been praying, and boy, it just I've tried to come to the throne of grace. It just doesn't seem like I'm getting the help that I need. Well, you need to understand something. If you feel like you need more grace than you have, the book of James lays out a principle for us in James chapter 4 and verse 6. Now listen, if you're at a place to where you think you need more grace than what you've got, you know what you need to do? Look at the verse. What do you need to do? Humble yourself. Evidently. If you don't have the grace to desire to do what God wants you to do, and if you don't have the power to do what God wants you to do, and come to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in your time of need. And if you still don't do it, then start looking around to where is the pride in my life and how are, in what ways can I humble myself because 
he gives more grace to the humble. And what the revelation of God ought to do is cause all of us to just step back and for the rest of our life until he comes for us, it ought to cause us to every single day of our life walk in that grace that the Lord provides that he said would be sufficient for us in every situation of our life. Amen. And then look down at the bottom after that. The end. And Lord, what an awesome, awesome God you are. This book of Revelation has been just something absolutely incredible. And what a, what a great capstone to the revelation of this entire 66 books. You found such an incredible way to, to put the exclamation point on Revelation by this book that you even entitled by that name. And oh God, we, we are so accountable. Because our eyes have seen, our ears have heard. Unbelievable, unbelievable things. We, we know the things that are about to befall the people on this planet. These truths have been entrusted to us. And oh God, until you come for us, may we walk in that grace, holding that book that you've placed into our hands. May we hold every word of it, never adding to it or taking away. Living every moment as if this will be the moment that you will return. And oh God, may, may we share that truth with the people that are all around us that so desperately need to hear while this window of opportunity is open to us and open to them. And I pray that we would have the, the biblical response to this truth that You've entrusted to us. And believers, would you just find a way to talk to God about these 16 verses that He's laid out for us to find ways to apply these truths practically. Would you talk to Him from your heart about that? And listen, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, wow, listen, the response that you need to have today is you need to humble yourself before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in a human body that came to this earth for the purpose of taking your sin because it is your sin that separates you from God but God came to this planet took your sin and mine he died was buried and rose again the third day to pay the penalty for our sins so that we might be able to have forgiveness so that we might be able to enter into God's family and to enter into his presence for all of eternity and listen the Spirit and the Bride today say, Come. Take of the water of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, freely. 
It's available to you today. It may not be tomorrow or the next day. And that's why the Bible says today, if you'll hear His voice, harden not your heart. And as we're bringing the service to a conclusion today, our pastors are going to be up at the front of this, this room, and we're inviting you today to do just what the Word of God in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, says. We invite you to come, to take of the water of life today. Just come talk to one of these men as our service is coming to a conclusion. We'll have somebody take the Bible, the Word of God, and show you how you can enter into a relationship with God through His Son today in this very room. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of people in this room that don't know you and may this be the day of their salvation. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.